Hello, I'm Alex and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 13. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath, Andrea and Chris. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are we? Tippity top. Yeah. <laughs> Silence. Yeah. Everyone's too polite. <laughs> well, we were just saying before we pressed recording, uh, just how manic July is turning out to be. Yeah, it um, really I is. We're all just kind of a little bit strung out. Yeah. But we're here. We're yes, here. The, the, those of us with children, I feel like we're crawling to the end mm. of term. Uh, crawling. 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 <laughs> we're all crawling. <laughs> Mine's a different experience because I have hit the heights of happiness and plumbed the depths all in one day. Okay. <laughs> that needs explaining. Yeah. Yeah, sounds intriguing. Yeah. Just quickly. I got new shoes. Oh, class. <laughs> Hang on, so which one is that? Is that is that the good oh, bit or the bad that's, bit? That's that absolute height. Oh, ah, new shoes. Great. And I've, I've, I've worn them and I've been tripping myself over because I keep looking at them and thinking, oh, new shoes. <laughs> and then after that, I ate too much cherry cake. So it was a is, bit of a brought you down to earth. Quite is there such thing as too much cherry cake? I was going to say exactly the same thing, yeah. Chris. I was working on it. <laughs> I should, For science. I should, I should bring cherry cake if, if we ever have a, a, a face-to-face session, we shall have cherry cake. Yeah. I think we should have lots of cake, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. big Talking fans about- of cake. Talking about plumbing, Kath, that was my, <laughs> uh, that's my major achievement in the last week, was <gasps> actual plumbing. Not, not metaphorical plumbing, but actual <gasps> plumbing. I've managed to fit a bathroom tap for the first time in my life because we had we had like a, a disintegrating tap, um, one of those kind of fancy mixer ones that we got a couple of years ago and it's just kind of fallen apart. And we've been hanging on for a plumber or a handy person to come around and, and do it and just couldn't get anybody. So I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to do, do it. it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it could go horribly, spectacularly badly wrong. Um, but I bought myself some tools and I did it and it's it's still there and it's working and the water is staying where it should, doing all the things that it should do. I, I can't quite believe it. I, I love that you had to go out and buy tools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Did you not have any tools? <laughs> no. um, sorry, I just need to cough. Hang on. <coughs> we got too excited. Yeah, go. I did get too excited. I'm getting carried away. <laughs> you notice that these, these tools have remained in the box. I was going to say, they're still wrapped up. <laughs> Didn't need them. Got through that then. Um, That's a bit worrying. <laughs> Maybe, well done, yeah, next, Chris. Well ne- done. next week I'll give you an update on uh, whether the tap has sprung a leak and the water's ended up in the kitchen. Excellent, but, excellent. Yeah. Andrea, what about you? Can you I, beat fixing the tap? Wow, it's going to be hard. But I um, I was just going back to Kath's shoe story. I um, about two months ago bought three pairs of shoes in a row, <gasps> oh, which Andrea. is just. I don't know what went through my mind. Madness. And I've just got nowhere to go to wear them. They're <laughs> just in a box. It's just... Are they, I'm, are I'm they going just, out I, shoes? I mean, are they... they, they... Are, they're, they're Swedish shoes with a wooden heel, which you can Ooh. sand back if they get stained with rain. I mean, it's just... <laughs> That's just ridiculous. These Scandies think of everything, don't they? You just had to have them, didn't you? you had I had to, to have, have those Swedish sandals and absolutely nowhere to wear them. Aww. So perhaps just around the house, but um, another, yeah, 
another disclosure shared on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> How's uh, the knitted unicorn, Andrea? Oh, I, that's that's for another day. It just okay. went a little RuPaul drag race. I had to. <laughs> I just had to unknit the face. It was. It was I can't actually talk about it. <laughs> it's on hold. Okay. All right. It's, it's on hold. <laughs> well, on that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Anne Iqbal, who works at the brilliant Angelou Centre based in the West End of Newcastle. The Angelou Centre provides support for black, minoritized and migrant women across the Northeast. Anne grew up in Kenya but has made Tyneside her home. She talks to me about growing up in a happy community environment as well as her journey to the UK. So enough of me talking, here's Anne. Anne, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. We've made it. We've had a few technical glitches, but we are here and we are recording. So welcome, hello. Hello, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad to speak to you on this, uh, what's a rather wet and miserable Monday. Um, it's uh, suddenly chucked it down where I am. I don't know whether mm-hmm. whether it's doing the same for you. Uh, it is, yeah. It is, yeah. Newcastle is pouring down. Yeah, it is. But that won't stop us talking about happiness. It will not. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm feeling great. Feeling happy, jolly. Can't complain. You know, a bit of rain here. It's good for the plants. It's good for me. Cleans my car. So <laughs> cleans your car. Got to look for positivity in all these things, isn't it? Absolutely. Is is there anything that's sort of happened over the last few days that's particularly brought you a little bit of happiness? Can you think? Well. Football is coming home. So. We're not we're not doing too badly, are we? We shouldn't tempt we, fate, but uh... <laughs> see, that's the thing for me is uh, if I have faith and believe in something, we just have to say yes. Football is coming home. We are not tempting. We are believing it is going to come home. If it does, well and good. If it doesn't, well and good. So it is coming home. We've done pretty well. I have to say this this is probably going to go out after. Uh, the semi-final on Wednesday, so we may well be feeling a little bit different, but you never know. Let's let's stay let's stay positive. Let's think happy thoughts. Uh, absolutely. So, Anne, is happiness something that you think much about? Absolutely, all the time, all the time. I always find myself auditing my feelings. Um, I find myself auditing: Am I feeling happy or am I feeling sad? And what I've discovered is. I am pretty much happy most of the time, no matter what is happening around me. Um, I'm happy, but there are times that I feel sad. And so I've managed to differentiate the two of them um, is sadness and happiness. And I've found that I have more happier than I even give myself credit for. Why do, why do you think it is that you feel happy all the time or most of the time? Yeah, I think it's inborn. It's, it pretty much goes down to my upbringing is how I was brought up. I was born into a very happy family. I was born surrounded by happy people, um, a very happy community. And really, I think that is so much in my genes that 
it cannot, I don't know what to do different. So I think for me, really, the happiness comes from my upbringing and the foundation that um, was given to me, because it's not until much later in the years did I actually start now feeling what now we call unhappiness. So Mm, mm. that is, I think, really goes down to my, how I was brought up into a very happy family, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that happy community, that happy upbringing that you had? Where was it? What did it feel like? Right. Yeah. So I was born in central Kenya um, into a very, we have seven siblings into a beautiful, gorgeous, oh, loving father and mother. And um, I'm the sixth born and so my siblings were much older than I was. So, but still, that did not make me feel not loved or or well treated. I remember my mother, pretty much caring for all of us, and just not all of us. Our home was open to everybody. It was the home where all the villagers came into, and I think it. Now that it's a season for football, I think I might as well bring that up. Okay. Is we are the only ones, <laughs> we are the only ones at the time that had a black and white television. Okay. And so my brothers um, and their friends used to watch football made in Germany and football made in, uh, in Brazil, football made in Brazil. And I do still remember very well is on the particular day, which was, I think it was on a Thursday, there were these young men, so my brothers age me, they were all teenagers pretty much. And they were always allowed to come into the sitting room and you could all you could hear was these teenagers screaming and what of course <laughs> and these were people really were not my you know, my mum did not have to entertain them, but that was uh, the rule. It was on Thursdays, any young boy, young man was allowed into our home come and watch the football, um, to watch wrestling. There will used to be the wrestling project, you know, so that were coming and giving our spaces. And that meant also they were given food. So they were accounted for. So my mom knew if food is being made, there's so much. So we have these big, big pots, which asked, yeah, this, this big pots, because that food had to feed everybody else who came in. And that was the culture. It was every day. It was anybody who comes in, um, we had to entertain this food. We also had, I think we were the only ones who had the the dial telephone. And that was used for the whole community. So people from different towns would call and say, oh, I would like to speak to Swens. And I would be called and say, go call so I sort of come and wait for their call. So pretty much it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I've grown up with that giving and loving and caring about everybody. Nothing was mine. Nothing was ours. It was for everybody. And I think that is so ingrained in me, really. Yeah. What a great attitude to have. Is is that something that was... Um sort of reciprocated to you? Was was the rest of the community similar, like-minded to yourselves? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You just needed to be walking up the road. For example, if I was sent to the shop to go and buy a loaf of bread, um, and I would be going to 
buy the roaf bread and one a woman would see me or a neighbor would see me and say oh here you are and they'd give me this the little sweet bananas they're very tiny but they're very very sweet bananas and they would just give it to you oh take this and so you had to accept so there's that giving reciprocation of of kindness is and it's still there today in the village it's still really really there we're all looking out for each other all looking out for each other yeah. and i don't remember seeing gloomy faces I, d- I think i really don't i think i do i saw gloomy faces as i grew older in terms of sadness but i don't in my childhood i really don't remember seeing gloomy faces amongst the women among the children that i played with um and the children in the village really i only saw them during holidays because i was sent to a boarding school and i was six six years old from so from class one which is from reception really wow. i was in boarding school but besides that i just remember joy i just remember jo- just being joyful all the time so what was being at boarding school like was that um was that something that you were happy to to, to do? Um, was it expected, um, or or was it something that perhaps made you feel a little bit unhappy? I don't know. What's what was the thoughts of being at boarding school? Um, I think well, like I said, I went to, since I was year six, so reception year. There was not a choice, mm-hmm. so pretty much the parents chose that the girls are going into an all girls Catholic, very strict um, school. Um, and at the time, the boarding schools were not an everybody thing. So it really, you had to have a little bit of money to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So which blessed my parents were. So all four girls, we went to this particular uh, primary school. So it was not a choice, really, but we did it because we did it. But I do remember that every opening school, we were dropped off on the Sunday Um before the school term starts on the Monday. So that, I do remember, that was the worst day ever. Every of those opening days was a sad day. So I, and I think now I know, it was not an unhappy day. It was a sad day because I felt that separation from my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. And um, and again, my sisters, by the time I joined, my sisters had graduated from this particular school. So I didn't have any family member mm-hmm. in the school mm-hmm. however the joy to that was that everybody all the girls we all cried on that night oh. so it was not an isolation i know <laughs> we, <laughs> you could just hear everybody you know crying <laughs> under the bed sheets you just cried but it was everybody but day two we kind of just forgot oh yeah, we forgot the homesick. We called it homesick. Yeah. We forgot the homesick and we just carried on. So it, it was nice. It was fun. It was fun. It was educate. I think I wouldn't do any different now because I am who I am for what I learned while I was in at boarding school. It gave me opportunities. The only thing it denied me was I didn't get to learn my mother tongue as well as I should have because we were only allowed to speak English. So that is the only thing now looking back, I feel was very kind of like a colony, we call it a colonial way of thinking that we had to only speak English. Yeah. Um, and so it denied me being able to actually speak my mother tongue as good as I should have learned with the rest of, you know, the rest of my siblings. Cause when we were at home again, then 
we were really more used to speaking English, so we started speaking English, really. What was your mother tongue? Oh, it's called Kikuyu. Okay. Please attempt that. No, Alex, please attempt <laughs> to say it. <laughs> Not to just say, okay. Kikuyu. Kiku, Kikuyu. Well, there you go. Is yes. that okay? Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, Kikuyu. Yeah, so Kikuyu would be the my mother tongue. Is that is that something you can learn now, or do you feel it's a? a oh, bit, I speak it. Speak I speak it. it. Yeah. yeah, as a grown grown old uh, grown older, I've actually learned how to speak, so I speak it quite well. But I still feel I would have learned it from day one. In a, yeah. you know, I'd have the dialect much better. Yes. I'd have the accent much better. Yeah. Um, I would also be able to speak Swahili much better, which is the national language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel a bit denied that bit, but you know, now we can learn all these things as we grow up. So it's okay. It's okay. But yeah, that's how boarding school life was. So it, mm. it, it was okay, apart from the homesick um, on the first days of opening school. Then after that, you know, we all just carried on <laughs> as you do i think children are quite resilient aren't they and uh they are. yes yeah. Uh, yeah as you say have that that one day of crying and then forget about it <laughs> yeah yeah until the next opening time <laughs> yeah. the, te- the teachers must have been used to it <laughs> yes uh, the, the matrons actually because um the hostel side which you know uh we had the the nuns it was it was, it was so catholic so Catholic, as in, I probably, I'm not sure if you would have an idea what, what I mean, Catholic. It was prayerful, uh, but yet quite playful. You know, we were allowed to be to be just playful, but also we were very sheltered. So mm-hmm. that also helped us. Um, when I tell my daughter how sheltered I was, she's like, oh, my God, mommy, there were no boys in your school. I said, yeah, we were saved from the heartaches. We were saved <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it was nice. It, it was nice. I wouldn't regret about it. Think about it. I wouldn't turn it. Up. I wouldn't take my daughter to uh, an all Catholic girls' school now, but um, I still would want her to, you know, to have the opportunity to go into maybe a more modern boarding school. It was mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you talked at the sort of start um, of the interview how you um, audit your happiness and your unhappiness. What does that mean? What do you do to audit yourself? What I do is I always watch for my feelings. So I have learned to be very proactive rather than reactive to situations. And what I do is really sometimes I'll give you a very good, uh, very day-to-day scenario would be if I walked into a shop and I'll find somebody's probably not receptive of your presence or, you know, does not recognize you're actually there. I sometimes wonder, is it, has it anything to do with me or is it having to do with them? So that feeling I'll always, I always check, is the feeling about me? Is it me feeling it or is it the energy? So I'm always trying to figure out before I react to make sure that has somebody seen me? Do I need to say hello so that they know that you're there? Because somebody would have just been doing something else and they don't, haven't actually seen you. Um, or could it be just me just trying to look for something 
because of my own feelings. Because what I believe in, if you are unhappy, then that is when you find you you give away negative energy. Mm-hmm. But if you're sad, if you're sad, you don't you find sad people don't give away negative energy. They're just sad. But mm-hmm. unhappy people will always give negative energy. So uh, that's how I always try to see: Am I the one giving negative energy? Am I unhappy, or am I sad about a thing? Most times you find it is either you're unhappy about a situation or probably I'm just sad and so just carry on with it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just about feel watching how you're feeling and not using it as a blame, you know, blaming other people, but it's just me. I like to audit myself. What's my responsibility to a situation? What's the energy I'm giving? Because you know, they say there's always a reaction to every action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that's what really I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you think of the word happiness, what do you think about? What's the first thing that comes to mind? You've talked um, already about your the happy community in which you grew up in, but what does happiness mean to you? Oh, it means lightness, feeling light. It feels joyful. It feels um, giving. Every time you feel you need to give something, could it be a smile? It, it's actually smiley. It, it, if you're always smiley, it, it, that's happiness, you know. Um, but more so, it is rewarding. It, mm. it rewarding because it makes your energy around your environment. It, it, it's always good. It's it's all goodness. Happiness is all goodness. It's all goodness, really. It really is all goodness. And I think to me, it's what humanity should be. It's just, yeah. But also, it's it's a self self-awareness you know if you get what i mean it's yeah yeah so i think it's it's it encompasses happiness it's really encompasses all the well-being it's it's just been well-being if you're if you're happy you find that everything seems to just go very well even when things are not going wrong well you actually do see the positive side of things like today i could complain it's raining but i would think oh no my car is getting clean the car's getting washed <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it's happiness happiness is all it's all positivity it's yeah. all positivity yeah. yeah fabulous and yeah. so on the flip side then um because you, you you mentioned at the start that you perhaps it, it it was a little while before you kind of recognized what unhappiness was mm-hmm. can you say a little bit about that yes um i think i started feeling unhappy when I got married mm-hmm. and it was years into my marriage that I started having these emotions and at the time I was not now sure whether at the same time I would say my dad was ill and then my mom also got ill so it was within a seven year span so let's say five years span of so I was married for 17 years. Mm-hmm. So for the first 12 years were fantastic, beautiful, brilliant, loving, or oh, just what I dreamt of. Then five years to the 17 years. So after the 12th year, my dad fell ill and my, uh, and my mom also fell ill. My mom eventually passed on um, to cancer, but my dad survived his uh, open heart surgery but within that time, I had now moved back to Kenya. 
and I was doing all the caring for them. Yeah. And other times, so I remember now, this is when I started wondering, what are all these emotions I was feeling? So the emotions were sadness because my parents were ill. But then there was another feeling that I could not put, I could not place a finger on what it was. But I put it aside because I was concentrating on caring for my parents. So eventually after my mom passed on, everything fell apart and everything opened up. Yeah. And that is when I actually realized there was a lot of unhappiness because what within the marriage, that is where I said, no, I realized this is what unhappiness feels. The emotion was not about my loved one not being well. It had to do with a loved one, me not feeling well. Mm. You get the difference. Yes. So the sadness for me, I always, it, I always feel sad when it's somebody else not doing well, not feeling well, when they are sick, when they don't have food, when they can't take the child to to school. You know, when I hear things, um, this war. You know, when you hear those things, that makes you sad. It's about somebody else. You have feelings on behalf of somebody else. But unhappiness, actually, it's actually feelings for yourself. They're affecting you. It's you not feeling well. And that's when I differentiated. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, I had been unhappy for a couple of years. This feeling that I couldn't differentiate, I couldn't figure what it was. It was all about I was not being treated the way I should have been treated. Things have started going south, but I wasn't paying attention to that because I had concentrating on these other things so it was not until down into my marriage that i realized oh my god this is what unhappiness is because all those years alex for me i really have never been unhappy i've really had a really good life and i'm grateful to god uh, for that and my faith has also held me mm. on that but this one because i was depending on somebody just to make me feel a certain way and i was now not feeling that certain way hence the unhappiness and that's when I realized oh my god this is what unhappiness feels like so what did you do how did you deal with that I how did I deal with that it was very good and this is may sound like cliche but guess what I prayed because mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do I knew I had taken a vow there's never been divorces in my family my parents had been married for 52 years before my mom passed on um, and on his side of his family, there are no divorces. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been issues in the marriages, I would mm. imagine, really. But on my side, I just prayed and I just asked, you know, I had taken a vow, just intervene, intervene into what it is, because I didn't know what to do. But yeah, so one day, the 14th of January, 2018, he just packed up and left. Not a word. You've got that date yeah, in your I mind. <laughs> I got the date in my mind. Yeah, so he just packed up and left and abandoned us, and that was it. Never, never, He never looked back, never mm -hmm. looked back. And so I do remember those emotions of joy because a prayer had been answered. I felt I did not break the vow. I didn't, I'm not the one who <laughs> walked away. So that made me happy. <laughs> I said, well, God, if that, at least that's a plus. I hope that's a plus for me up there. But um, yeah, so, and that's 
the rest now is history uh, until you know when I had now to move back this way. So between those six months of when I was in Kenya and I had to relocate with my daughter, um, it was again confusion. And that's when I realized I felt a relief because the emotion of that unhappiness left me. Mm -hmm. And I was filled with other emotions of joy is of which now I can take control back of my life. I can make decisions without having to ask for permission and just knowing I just have to do it. I don't, I don't have a choice. I just have to do what you have to do to survive and carry on with life and let the universe cater for everything else. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. I moved back and here we are now joyful here am i talking about happiness <laughs> <laughs> so that ingrained happiness in me carried has carried me through has carried me through yeah has carried me through i would say now i know the journey from kenya to the uk and, and then from the uk up to the northeast i know there was there was lots um involved in that lots of things happened yes. um you know, is there anything you want to say about that journey and how you yeah, felt in terms of, yeah, happiness, unhappiness, um, yeah, what it yeah. was like? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so 2018 January, he left. Um, then we came back on the 18th of June. We landed at Heathrow. And so there was me and my daughter with our British passports. And of course, I had to explain to the gentleman there that I've no abode, I've nowhere to go. I'm just, you know, because now really I was fleeing what was domestic violence, um, which, you know, we could not go into details, but mine was very much coercive. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of coercive and a lot of controlling and a lot of, um, I think what they call king of the castle, where you're given everything, the man provides you with everything, you know, your child is going to these private schools, you have everything. I had I had it all, but then there was not that lack of connection or I had no say in, in the relationship. So anyway, so landed and I did explain to the gentleman there, the officer that, you know, we've nowhere to go. And then he just said, all right. So he made a phone call. And then I remember being told if you just go where I was in the waiting room and wait for the social services to call me. And then when they called me and this, the conversation, you know, how, who are you with? What's the age of your child? And she was 12 at the time. And I remember her telling me, all right, not a problem. So we will come and pick your child. Um, we'll take care of her. We have duty of care for her, but not for you. And I thought, you're going to take separate me from my child. I have just landed. You're going to take my child because you have duty of care for her. On what grounds would you be separating mom and my daughter? And then I just told her, that's all right, not a problem. What I'll do, let me try and see if I can get a friend. Um, so I called my friend. It was on her birthday. <laughs> and she was expecting me, thinking I'm coming on holiday, as I had always done over the years. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and she said, oh, have schools closed? And I said, yeah, Yasmin's school has closed. Um, so here we are. 
But when she came to pick me, that's all I just told her. When she picked me up, we went to her house and then I told her the story and she was shocked. But because we had been communicating anyway, I had told her, you know, that, you know, the dad left us and here we are. But I could not tell her the stories and I could not tell her the plan because we were afraid that they might he might intercept or I might compromise my security and my safety and my child whilst we were in Kenya. So anyway, she took us in and we sofa served at her house for a month while trying to secure myself a place. But I was determined. I was determined that I am going to be out of this. I am going to get a home for my child. I'm going to get a place for my child. But anyway, we were put into a temporary accommodation. Oh, my God. I do not want to wish any parent, any mother and children, anybody for that matter, to get into that system. Mm. Not with my experience. Because in that temporary accommodation, we had every kind of person in that place. We had people who were, oh my God, I am so sure there must have been a market for some illegal stuff because the many times the police were called into that place we had fights in there oh terrible mm -hmm. and we are all put in one place with our children it was terrible however i was determined that is not going to stop me from my main goal is to get myself my independence so whilst i was there i got my job at uh as a receptionist at um, a GP in Slough. So I was now doing my hours while living here and waiting to get accommodated. But one day they called everybody within that borough into a meeting and were about 500 of us. We must have been. And it was a meeting where they were trying to encourage us to start looking for options that there's no housing they just don't have enough housing to accommodate all of us. So they started asking, how many people have been waiting for accommodation for three years? And hands went up. Very, very many, over 100 went up. How many people have been waiting for over five years for permanent accommodation? Very many hands went up. So they went asking that, and then they asked, how many people have been waiting to be accommodated within the last three months. So of course I was in that category where very few of us, very newbies into, mm. <laughs> into the system. <laughs> so our hands went up and then they asked, how many of you would want to leave the South and go elsewhere? My hand went up. I didn't care whether you give me money or didn't give me money. I just wanted my own place and start building my life. And so my hand went up and a few of us went, we put our names down and I just happened to be one of the few, the next week I was called into the office and I was told, oh, this house up north near Newcastle, it's in a place called South Shields. And I thought, where is that? <laughs> where is that? I had no idea where is that? But the name sounded very nice. I just loved the name, South Shields. It, it just sounded really good, but I don't even think. <laughs> and they said, if you're willing, we can send you up there. But you know what, Alex? What they told me is 
if you go and you reject it, then I'm likely to be told I am making myself homeless. I'm not even hearing that. All I want to hear is if there's a place for me safe and my child can go to school. So anyway, we got the tickets. They, they gave us the tickets, got into the train, came up north, got out of the train station and the address. And then I took a taxi and it was a two minute drive. <laughs> <laughs> station to the address of course because everybody is new and i'm thinking oh maybe if i you know i didn't know where it was but it was a two-minute drive and i remember the taxi driver bless him he was so kind but i remember him smiling and i'm thinking we have reached he said yes we have reached but now you know where it is you can just walk back (laughs) (laughs) so anyway got to see the place um was not a very pleasant looking place. It had been, you know, pulled down um, and everything else, but they did tell me, you know, we will try and see, we'll help you put the place together. But what helped me much was my daughter. She said, because I was on the verge of saying no, and that's where vanity can come in, Mm -hmm. because I was looking at this place and I'm thinking, oh my God. Where on earth? Where is my mansion? Where is where is all my homes? Where is <laughs> how have I been reduced to this? But my daughter looked at me and she said, "Mom, we are not going back to London. We are coming. We are taking this place." And I looked at her and I could not believe my twelve-year-old is seen beyond the walls. <laughs> And that is when I knew I'm doing a good job as a mother. So yeah, we're taking this place. So I went back to Slough and put everything together. Before I knew it, I was in South Shields. And yeah, I am now up in North, adopted by the North. Adopted by the North. Well, very happily adopted by the North, by the sounds of yes. it. So where was um, where was happiness in all of that? You know, did was there any happiness? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The happiness was that now I was making, first and foremost, I was making decisions without having to consult. Mm. Oh, I would never give that away ever again. Having to do things without consulting anybody. So there was that there was that joy in me. Remember I said happiness brings mm. joy. So there was mm. that joy in me. Um, and then there was also happiness knowing that I could actually see now how where I'm going. I was so sure in my mind, I was so sure things will come slowly, but with determination, I will get back to where I want to be. And I'm going to give my daughter the best life that I know I can. So that happiness in me, really, and the independence, oh, Alex, oh, the joy of just knowing I'm opening my own house without anybody's stealing my food Mm -hmm. i forgot to tell you which was also joyful but funny is in the temporary accommodation we have this shared fridge so you are shown your compartment in the fridge where you put your food and my food was always stolen oh (sighs) alex talk of being exposed to the other side of life yeah yeah but this is how i looked at it i said well thank god i fed somebody and things that so many people take for granted as well. 
absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. but to me i always thought oh well i fed somebody whoever it is who took my food it's all right you 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 get you got fed i'll just go to into tesco and buy some more food but i was also sad so my happiness within that i was also sad because i was angry i was angry at some moments wondering why would some human beings subject me to this so I was also unhappy when I got that because that now had to do with me, somebody controlling how I felt, making me feel a particular way of it. So my ex made me feel that I could just sit back and think, why would you subject me to this? You know, why would you subject your daughter to this? You know, mm -hmm. what we were what we experiencing within those three months, oh, which felt like a year mm -hmm. in the temporary accommodation. But yeah, eventually, when we moved up north, that just went behind, pushed aside because I met really, really, really great people from the school um, when I had to appeal because she had been appointed to a particular school and I didn't want her to go into that school. Um, I didn't feel right. But that is now where, again, I felt so happy because I was like, I cannot fight for my child. I can, you know, I am now fully free to do whatever I need to do that is positive for me and for my child. And I remember going into this, um, into the town hall and this, these five men, and I'm going to say white men, not, I'm not being racist, but it was just the fact that they just looked powerful. Mm -hmm. And here I am so naive, um, wondering, are they going to reject my child? You know, what are they going to ask me? How am I going to prove my case? You know, just that fact that there were men now making a decision sitting, making a decision and i'm thinking oh no not again but very friendly the atmosphere was really welcoming really nice and then when they said oh your child is going to go into that school <gasps> oh every problem that was in my mind everything alex went out of the window and since then I haven't looked back. I can't say I've had a bad, no, not a bad experience up in the north. No. Well, I was I was going to ask you what, yeah, what do you think of South Shields? What do you think of the northeast? Is it somewhere that you're you're happy to be? Oh, I am so happy to be in South Shields. I love the coastline, the seaside. Um, the people so far for me has been fantastic. My neighbours, oh, I would want to move, but I. I love my neighbors because sometimes you can be in the loveliest of places, but if you have horrible neighbors, then it can be horrible life. But I have fantastic, fantastic neighbors. So I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I can't see myself ever wanting to go back south. Mm -hmm. If I were to move away to retire, probably be where? Maybe Asia, you know, mm, a free bird. Very anywhere, nice. You know? Very nice. Yeah. You know, the world <laughs> is our oyster. We can't be anywhere <laughs> we want to. Well, maybe not right now, but hopefully soon. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm very, very, very happy. Very, very happy. And you work now at the Angelou Centre. I do. I do indeed. Is, is that something that I suppose you can... Can you draw your personal experience to as part of your work? Is 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 working at the Angelou Centre something that brings you happiness? Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So again, this seems to have been like a divine intervention because this, when my child now went into school, then I was now ready to look for work because I was determined I am not going to be in a system if that's what it was, because I had now experienced it for three months and I knew I needed to be on my own two feet. So I started applying for jobs and the first job that I applied for was the Angelo Center. I didn't know much about them at all. Um, and it was not in me that I wanted to work in a women's only helping other women who've gone through what I have gone through, but it just happened. So I came for the interview and it just felt right. It, it really just felt so right. And since then, I was, it's unbelievable, has been unbelievable. Just helping women go through their journey. And I always tell them, you know, sometimes it's different from mine, but it doesn't make it any less import, of importance as I may not have been punched, but the emotional abuse was there. But guess what? That is a face draw courage and energy and goodness out of it. And you can be anything you can be. You know, you don't have to identify myself with what I have gone through. Really, you have to draw that back again to inside you. Who are you? What do you, what are you all about? And from that, nobody else can really take away your happiness. No one should take away your happiness. Yeah. So I love being at the Angels because I'm forever growing. Uh, my self-confidence actually has actually grown by being at the Angelo Center. Um, oh, my mentor, my manager, um, but my ex-manager now, she has left, but she has been played a really big role in, in my growth and my self-esteem, um, her belief in me. I think she could see what I was and what I can become and who I am. And she just kind of pushed me ever so lightly. And here I am now very comfortably, you know, getting back my, well, don't say groove, but yeah, my happiness. <laughs> yeah, so the Angela Center has really played a really, really good role because I've also gotten to learn things that I would never have thought about before. For example, well-being other than just me, my faith is what I've really depended on and what now, what has been instilled in me, like I said, from growing up, but also other things of, being inclusive, you know, want to talk to other women who naturally probably wouldn't talk to them, um, learning from them, you know, things like that. It's just been, just been really, really, really brilliant. And it, the beauty of it is we have women from all over the world. Mm. That's the beauty of it. The Angela Center has all these women. Um, sometimes many people may think it's just for the South Asian women, but no. It's really women from Africa, Asia, South America. You know, we we it's a part of all these women, um, and we draw from each other's strengths. Yeah, so it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. What sort of? I mean, you've 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 touched on this already um, with a, a few things that you've said, but what sorts of things bring you happiness? What 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 do you do, or um, you know, what what sorts of things bring you happiness? So one of them again would be meditation in my prayers and my meditation is through my prayers. Um, I have that foundation and I actually, it works for me. Mm. So praying is one thing for me. Um, and sometimes my praying is one of just gratitude. I'll sometimes 
just take a pause and just be grateful for whatever it is. So that is one thing I practice every day. Um, walking is something else. Every now and then, I, you know, I want to do walking that brings me happiness. Just strolling. Um, what just brings me happiness? Being around family. Mm-hmm. And really for me, I realize it's not physical. I don't have to be physically with them. And the, this is where the COVID-19 has come in again to mm. evaluate for me, evaluate myself. Do I have to be physically with human beings to feel happy? And I realized I made a point. I said, no, I don't. I, otherwise I'm going really to go down if I think of that because my dad is in Kenya. I'd love to be able to see him. And now I still can't be able to go see him, but I'm still happy when I pick up the phone and speak with him. So I'm, I've drawn a lot of happiness from now just talking to people and just knowing that they are there, having that emotional connection. Because what I realized is also not listening to the crowd. If you listen to the crowd, it can impact your own feelings and that did happen to me when we went into the first lockdown because everybody was just talking about, oh, we can't see this. Oh, I'm so happy because I can't see this. I can't see somebody. I can't see somebody. I can't. And I think, and I kept thinking, oh my God, these people are complaining about they can't see somebody who is just down the street. My family is eight hour flight <laughs> away from me. That doesn't make it any different anyway, but it was the, that consideration I thought, what I'm going to do now is I'm going not to listen to all this negativity about what I can't do, who I can't see, but draw on who am I able to speak with. And my dad, his phone, he, we tried, I got my niece to go to his house to try and get him into Zoom or into some FaceTime. It hasn't worked till today. Oh. <laughs> it hasn't worked till today. So it's always the phone. <laughs> so unless my niece goes down to visit him, then that's the only time we do the FaceTime. Yeah. But on his phone, he's like, oh, I'm not sure what button to, you know, but there we go. <laughs> but I had to draw that gratitude of thank God I'm actually able to speak with him. Yeah. Thank God he is well. Thank God, you know, so that gratitude has brought me a lot of happiness and tried not to draw on the crowd of what it is that we are not able to do. And that is how today I leave my happiness being gratitude. I think that's the main thing that makes me happy. It just keeps me being grounded. And also now, of course, talking to family, um, my child, oh, my daughter brings me every joy she's a teenager now Mm. so there's those ups and downs (laughs) but still i smile to myself and i think oh my god i would never say that to my own mother (laughs) i see because it's a whole generation (laughs) (laughs) but then i smile and i think oh my god i missed out on that you know she i never show her that i'm smiling about what she's done i will always say that's not acceptable you know Please don't do that again. But when she moves away, I've been think- I'm always smiling, thinking, "Oh my God, <laughs> how did I miss out on being able to do that?" You know, so I feel like she has more freedom than I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but then, on the other hand, I try to encourage her because I think I want her to be able to debate. I need her to be able to fight her corner. 
I need her to be eloquent in how she speaks out and in ways that her opinion counts. Because for me growing up, again, like I said, it was all happiness, but it was also very, you were told what to do. Mm -hmm. So you were sheltered from having an opinion. So we grew up just being and that brought us happiness. So we were sheltered from other feelings that we could have had when we were young, if we were able to, to maybe have opinions and do opposites. But there we go. So with my daughter, she brings me so much happiness because she's grown up to be, hopefully, a good citizen, yeah, of the world. Well, what a wonderful note to end on there. That 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 hope that your daughter will become a great citizen of the world. Thank you mm-hmm. so much, Anne, for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for your time. And I hope you've enjoyed telling your story and, and talking to me as well. Oh, I am so delighted. Thank you for this opportunity. I really, 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 I am so honoured to have been, you know, to have accepted to do this and for you to have invited me to do this. I hope it was clear this time we got it done. Well, this is it. We we, we, we have hopefully beaten the technology and got this recorded. <laughs> it would not defeat us. <laughs> no, it shall not defeat us. It shall not defeat us. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. And really. thank you, Anne. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to the North for adopting yet another northerner (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you very much so that was Anne what did people think amazing yeah I thought it's fantastic I was I was listening to this on a morning walk actually and um I just, I loved it. It was a very candid interview and it was just the way that Anne talked about um, her story, a story of growth and, and insight, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. And I, I'm i not surprised the Angelou Centre and Anne found each other yeah. because that place is all about kind of holistic support to women that have had very different um, lived experiences and I just think she's probably a fantastic asset to the centre so I really enjoyed it I'm going to go back to it again yeah um, I think yeah. there's a lot to take from what she shared yeah yeah thank you Andrea totally agree Chris what about you I I, I was kind of blindsided by it a little bit I, I I started listening to just thinking all right this is this is my podcasting homework I need to do this before uh before the recording session so I was listening to it in the car on the way over to, to do an errand over in Heaton and actually kind of sat at traffic lights trying really hard not to cry because um, the, the way that it started, um, the the picture that she was um, drawing of her her growing up in Kenya and how, how kind of lovely it was. And yeah, there were, there were hurdles and stuff to overcome. And I kind of thought, well, okay, so it's going to be that sort of story. You know, it's, uh, you know, very, very uplifting, very sort of warm. Um, and then when she started talking about the the domestic abuse and the situation of turning up at, at Heathrow and almost having her daughter taken away from her. And, and I, I, I was absolutely flabbergasted by it. Um, it was, you know, really harrowing, but to hear her talk about it the way that she did, I mean, what, what a powerful person to have, you know, experienced all that, but to still be the way that 
she is and be able to talk about it the way that she does. I, yeah, I was, was, was overwhelmed. It was one of the most moving and surprising stories I think I've heard on, on this podcast series. So, mm -hmm. Thanks, Chris. I, I was similarly blindsided as well. I had not really the idea that what her recent life experience was, was going to come. So, mm. so when it did, the thing that struck me was the fact that there was no, there was, there was no appeal to listeners or the interviewer for, for sympathy. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was an absolute this is my life and and this is how it is. So she wasn't giving blame or regret or um, but and when she kept saying it's not it's not going to beat me, it, it won't it won't and you, you knew it wouldn't. Mm. And I just thought I've got to meet this woman. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, mm. But you're right, the Heath the Heathrow experience. I don't think I could have survived that. It was mm. just awful. And then to hear her talk about she she so so for surfed mm. for a while and then got out of that and then got out of the temporary accommodation and that description of the temporary accommodation was just so yeah absolutely stunning interview. Mm. Yes. What was quite sobering was when she was talking about that meeting um, with the people that were looking for accommodation. I think it was, it was slow, was it? Mm, and mm -hmm. 500 people turned up and this is just one borough. And you just think how, how, how many more people around the UK are experiencing that level of insecurity and kind of fear, fear for security and all that sort of stuff. It, it was, it was really sobering. So, so timely to, to hear this story when, you know, our currently bills are being passed that, that constrict, compromise and challenge people even more, especially women and children. It's just a deeply mm. worrying time. So, yeah, a, a, yeah, a very timely account of someone's personal experience. Can I just say, though, one th we've, we've talked in the, in the past about getting, uh, getting podcast merch. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> mugs and T-shirts and things. I want one with Where's My Mansion on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that was just, you know, uh, that, something about the, the, that just kind of summed up her kind of optimism. And all right, so there wasn't a mansion. All right, fine, fair enough. Well, we'll just kind of get on with it. But, you know, that was sort of <laughs> the kind of the fun expectation of, yeah. of kind of what was going on. I thought I loved that. What was the other line she said? Um, uh, something like live, live your own life and let the universe get on with the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so many, so many great uh, pearls of wisdom from Anne. And I, I really yeah. enjoyed actually the bit at the very beginning when she was talking about the community in which she was growing up. Um, and I think we were kind of similar age. Um, and she was talking about how her house was the only house with a TV. Um, mm. And so it was the place where all the young lads could just go and be together and, and watch whatever football was going on and then if so, and, and they had the only telephone I think as well and she was talking about how she would be sent to go and fetch somebody because they had a phone call at their house um <laughs> such a wonderful um yes description of, yeah. of, a, of a community um so but thank you uh, everybody for your comments and and thank you Anne for that wonderful interview if you've been inspired by this podcast episode then we'd love to hear from you we love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. 
You can get in touch via email hello at the northern guides to happiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We are really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the Northeast through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle COVID Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. Next week, we continue our conversations with the Angelou Centre with an interview with Nikita Kaur, who also works at the Angelou Centre working with children and young people as their children and young persons domestic violence advocates. She talks about the importance of play and that you're never too old to try something new. So you'll hear me ask her questions like this. Now, when we had our pre-recording chat before this interview, I, I said that I'd seen a, a quote at Shiremore Adventure Playground and I, I couldn't remember the exact wording, but I went back through my Instagram because <laughs> I posted a picture of it. And the quote was, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And that's exactly what you've just kind of said there. That's, you know, don't don't stop playing. Doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. It doesn't matter. Keep playing. Keep having fun. Um, is that something that you can relate to as an adult now? And hear her give answers like this. It just makes you feel more alive sometimes when you're running or playing or just doing those things and it reminds you of being younger and being uh, carefree at a time that you did feel more confident to go do things and I think that I'd mentioned before that I've done aerial silk where it's you like wrap yourself up and you climb and I always thought the first few weeks that we were doing it as a group and the children were there I thought oh I can't do that that's something that is way past me now and I didn't try it in the first week but in the second week I did it and I loved it and it just bought me a whole new lease of happiness and adventure I think like I've been more willing to try new things since I did it and I think just feeling weightless and carefree and just trying new things is just such a happy point that you can be at when you think I can still do this it brings confidence to you as well so we've reached the end of another episode we hope you're enjoying listening to the northern guide to happiness take care and see you all again next week for another episode mm-hmm.